Thanks, Kristen. Good morning. It's great to see all of you guys this morning. I feel like a lot of positive energy coming from the room. So <laughs> thank you, guys. Um, I'm always grateful for every opportunity that I have uh, up here. So I do want to just extend uh, thanks to the elders, you know, Pastor Matt, Pastor Eric, Pastor Barry, and Pastor Brandon. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to share up here today. And I want to thank all of you guys. I assume that if you hated the sermons that I did, you would have told those pastors and I wouldn't be up here. So I do feel like I have to communicate some gratitude. Um, I, it's been a little bit of time since I've been up here. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time on an introduction because we're doing this um, series on prayer and we're trying to allow more time for prayer at the end of the sermon. So I've been asked to go a little bit short. We'll see how that goes. Um, but just by way of a quick introduction, if you're unfamiliar with me, my name's Dan. Um, I did serve as an elder here for somewhere around a decade. Um, I am an occasional preacher and I specialize in pop culture references and Lord of the Rings. Um, and, and don't worry, this isn't going to be like when you go to one of those concerts of like a classic rock band and they refuse to play their hits. Like I'm playing the hits tonight. Okay. If you want... <laughs> You want Lord of the Rings references, you're going to get them. Buckle up. Um, we are continuing in on our series in the Lord's Prayer. And I, I'm very excited about this because as a church, we've developed this liturgy, this rhythm of doing the Lord's Prayer week after week. And I think that that's great. It really builds it into us. Um, the one challenging aspect of doing something kind of regularly is it can kind of become routine. Um, you can start to go through the motions of something without truly engaging with it. And so I think it's really good for us to take a pause here in July and to go through the Lord's Prayer so we can um, turn the autopilot off and we can actually engage in the words that we're saying, the phrases that we're saying, and we can kind of delve into the depths of this prayer. So today we're continuing on. We're in Matthew 6. That's where we've been kind of uh, anchored here. And uh, we're going to read verses 9 and 10. Um, we're focusing on, on verse 10. Pastor Eric did verse 9 uh, last week. Um, and I'm going to be focusing in on verse 10. But we're going to read those two verses together. So if you are able, will you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Okay. So... Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10 reads, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You may be seated. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> it's, it's been a minute, hasn't it? Um, this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> you may be seated. Uh, it felt weird not to go keep going on that, right? Like we felt like it holding a sneeze in. Um, okay. Before we dive into the teaching, I do want to just take a moment and soak up verse 10 as much as we can in the, in, in the time that we have here. Because the, the verse, verse 10, it's, it's 10 words. No, excuse me. It's 14 words, and it's just three phrases. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it again twice, kind of slowly. And what I'd like you to do is, one, just kind of just let it sink in. If you want to close your eyes, go for it. If that doesn't help you, then don't do it. Um, but what I'd like you to do is kind of be curious about the different phrases. And what I'm going to ask you is, 
what feelings and emotions do these free, do, do these phrases elicit in you? What kind of goes through your heart as we read these? So let me read these to you twice slowly. Again, in Matthew 10, it reads, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One more time. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if this was more of like a Bible study and less of a sermon, here's where I would say, okay, what, 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 what emotions did that guy's bring up in you? And we would go through all of, their, all of theirs. I'm going to kind of project a little bit of what I experience, and I hope that it's something that, um, that is sort of common, you know, something that you guys can relate to. Because when I went through this and when I turned the autopilot off, I was actually surprised um, that the, the feeling that was growing within me was a, a sense of longing, a, a, a bit of yearning. And I struggled to find the right word. I was looking around to see, like longing wasn't quite what I wanted. And I was, I was trying to find a better word for it. And I failed coming up with a better word uh, in English. But, you know, God bless the Germans because they have all kinds of crazy words out there, especially when it's these like complex emotional um, uh, feelings and words. So I found a German word that I think kind of, it hit a little bit better. So the German word is Zenstucht. (laughs) Zenstucht. All right. And here's what it means. It is a profound, unfulfilled longing, blending nostalgia, desire, and a bittersweet yearning for something absent or yet attained. That's deep, right? We are swimming in the deep end right now. Sounds so much more (laughs) deeper than saying just longing. Zen stucked. Now, where does this feeling come from? Why does praying these phrases elicit that feeling? Um, And I think it's because when we pray this prayer, what we're doing is we're really outlining two realities. We're outlining two realms. We're talking about heaven and we're talking about earth. And if we're being honest, you know, it's hard to say, you know, one's better than the other. But if we're being honest, I think most of us would rather be in heaven. Like if I were to give you a choice, would you like to go to heaven or would you like to stay on earth? A lot of us, it would be a struggle to check that earth box. Like a lot of us see heaven and it's, it creates a contrast that can create some of these desires within us. And I'm wondering, am I alone in this? When you pray this prayer, does any of this uh, feel similar to you? I imagine that when we see our world and we see injustice and suffering and fighting and loss and pain and ugliness, we can't help but yearn for like this promised kingdom of God When you read the Bible and it talks about the kingdom of God, man, it sounds amazing. Isaiah paints this this picture of the kingdom. It's a place without sadness. There are no tears. It's a place where God's rule and his peace and his justice and his righteousness, they reign forever. And according to the Bible, that's like how the world began. And then that's where it's going. 
Like in Genesis, that's where it starts. In Revelation, that's where it goes. And we're kind of in the middle. That's not where we are. And therein lies the longing. Why do we still suffer injustice when we are promised justice? Why do we still suffer at all when we are promised peace? You know, what's the holdup? And now we're, we're kind of digging into like really big questions here. Because um, it really lines up with this whole idea of about suffering. If God is good and powerful, then why does it exist? And why does the kingdom of God that we are promised, why does it feel slow to come to us here on earth? And uh, if you're hoping that I'll answer those questions because I brought them up, you might be disappointed. Um, a lot of those, I mean, those are big questions. There's a lot of mystery. And I just have to admit that I don't fully know. Um, I, I will say this. I believe that God wasn't surprised when the world that he created turned into what we have. When Adam sinned, I don't think that was a shock. When we sin, when we become separated from God, I don't think we're surprising God. I don't think he looked at the fallenness of the world and said, oh no, I got to do something. I need to come up with a plan B. Jesus, okay, what can we do? Okay, you're going to go to the cross. I know, I know, sorry. You're going to the cross and you're going to solve this for us. Like, I don't think God was scrambling to come up with a plan to save us. I think this was always, always plan A. This was always plan A. God's plan always included our world, its brokenness, and Jesus. And I find that comforting as it creates a sense of purpose. Now, I do think it's natural, then the question you might be asking yourself is like, okay, but can I have you know, can I have all the peace? Can I have all this beauty? Can I have it without the brokenness? Could, could, God, could God have done this without all the brokenness? And, you know, this reminds me of this scene from the, um, the first Matrix movie. Um, in the scene, like, you have Agent Smith, and he's talking to Neo, and he's telling him about the first iteration of the Matrix. And if you guys don't remember the Matrix, uh, what it is, the Matrix is basically a, a computer program that robots are using to kind of enslave humanity by tricking them that they're really alive when they're not. And it basically just mirrors our Earth. And Agent Smith tells him that the first Matrix was designed to be a paradise. It was designed to be perfect. It was an Eden. And it failed spectacularly. The humans rejected it. They couldn't, they couldn't uh, accept it. Humanity was so broken, they couldn't accept perfection, and they rejected the, the, the program. So is that it? Are we just that broken that, you know, that it's inherent to us? And maybe you could argue in some, some, to some degree, but I don't think that that's the take, God would take that, that God would have towards us. I think that's a really negative take on the creation that God has made, and it conflicts with this idea of um, God's kingdom in eternity forever. So what? What then? Why would God do it like this? And something that has helped me make sense of this place that we're in is to consider that we are part of a story. I, I really relate um, to this idea of story, and I think we as humans really relate to this idea of stories because I think we are storytellers. 
We write stories, we read stories, we watch stories. We digest the things that are happening in our life through the filter of our story. Every one of you has a story. It's unique. It's something that, um, that you are uh, experiencing that nobody else can take from you. You know, if, if nothing else that you have, you have your story. And each one of our stories, I believe, intersects with the big story that God is telling. So the big story that God is telling, the story of creation, of God creating our world, the story of us falling away, of sin entering the world and creating a separation for us, the story of redemption, of God as Jesus coming to the world to die for our sins, and then the story of restoration, the story of us being restored to God, and then the earth being restored to the kingdom that we were promised. And here's the important part of having the story mentality, is that in every good story, there are elements of beauty. And when I say beauty, I don't mean physical beauty. I mean existential beauty. There are elements of beauty and sadness. There is breaking and there is fixing. There is loss and there is love. You might say, I, I, I just prefer the beauty, skip the sadness. And what I'm going to argue is you probably wouldn't. Well, let me put it this way. Think of your favorite story, book, movie, tall tale, whatever. Think of what it is. Does it have an element of sadness? Is there an obstacle? Is there a challenge? Is there hardship? Of course. Can you think of any decent book or movie that doesn't contain an element of sadness. I, I was like, all right, well, maybe, maybe I don't know of them, but maybe they exist. Maybe I'm just not thinking about this. So I asked my assistant for help. Uh, my assistant these days is ChatGPT. And <laughs> me and my Gen AI assistant, um, I asked, okay, uh, I want to watch a movie with no sadness. Can you give me an idea? And it's like, oh, I understand you want to watch a movie without sadness. Here, you should try watching Toy Story. And <clears throat> it's funny you're laughing at it, you guys. I, I was like, okay, that's lighthearted. And then, all right, well, now think about the, the conflict that's in Toy Story. You have these toys, and they're separated from the only thing in their life that gives them purpose is, is the, that boy, Andy. And then you have these, these themes of being outgrown and being replaced and being forgotten. And like, you really quickly realize that like underneath like Pixar's like shiny AI colorful uh, animation, there is a layer of sadness. Okay, so I said, all right, sorry, Chappie T, I, I, I disagree. Give me another one. And uh, it spit out Lego movie. Um, and I'm like, okay, that's a wacky kids film. But again, if you look at it, the main character Emmett in Lego movie he lives this like shiny, fake, plastic life. He has no personal connection. He has no meaning. His only like person that he loves is his houseplant. Um, like on, underneath the, the, the layer of, uh, uh, of, of toys and, and, and once you get past the animation of it, yeah, there's sadness in Lego movie. And so I tried again. I go, okay, Chappie GBT, try again. And it said, you should watch the SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Um, which I haven't seen and don't intend to. Um, my, my commitment to the bit, it died right there. You know, like <laughs> it could be the silver bullet. I don't know. One of you guys could tell me there's absolutely nothing sad in it. Um, probably not. 
Probably not. Nobody writes stories without sadness because nobody would read them. A necessary element to beauty is contrast. Um, think about this. If, if everything is extraordinary, then is anything extraordinary? You know, it does extraordinary only really exists in the context of the ordinary. Beauty only exists and, okay, beauty can only be appreciated when contrasted to sadness. So I'm not arguing for any like heresies here, like uh, dualism or like the necessity of evil or that like sad things are actually sad. Like sad things, uh, or excuse me, sad things are actually good. What I'm saying is like sad things are sad, but our appreciation um, for the beauty of God's kingdom will be amplified by our experiences here on earth. I want you guys to look at this verse here from Paul. Um, this is verse uh, in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. You know, we are, we can see glimpses of the kingdom. The kingdom of God has broken in and we can see part of it from here. And we know where this story goes. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, it's seeing our world with the eyes of its creator, seeing it both as being wounded, broken and sad, but also beautiful and on the road towards restoration. So as promised, I'm going to bring in a little Lord of the Rings here. Um, you guys know it's my favorite story. Um, and one of the reasons that I, I like it so much is because every time I read it or listen to it or watch the movies, I feel like I come away a little bit more inspired. Um, I find myself um, picking up new things every single time. And I just finished recently reading it with my son, Ian, and um, a, a line from Return of the King, a line that Sam has, um, really, it really struck me. So um, to set the scene, um, Frodo and Sam are in Mordor, and they're sort of journeying through this land. And um, the land, as depicted by Tolkien, is, is desolate. It's lifeless. It's an oppressively evil place. Um, the air is foul and poisonous. It's full of ash and noxious fumes. And, and every step, every step they take in this land gets harder. One step is harder than the previous. And it's, it's dark. Um, it's gloomy. You can't tell day from night. And one night, um, while hiding in some hole, the, this black curtain of clouds that's always over the land, this black curtain, just for a moment, it parts. And it reveals a singular star. And here's what was written about this. It says, There, peeping among the cloud rack, above a dark tor or a dark peak, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart as he looked up out of the forsaken land and hope returned to him. 
For like a shaft, clear and cold, the thought, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was only a small and passing thing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. I love that. And it's a beautiful line. It's well, well written. And, and to me, it's a good reminder that shadow and sadness on earth, it's, it's only a small and passing thing. And that God's kingdom is one of light and beauty. And it is forever beyond the shadow's reach. And of course, and this is what I love about reading Tolkien, there's layers. So that's like the first layer. And this is why I'll probably be doing Tolkien quotes at the end of my life, because there's more layers. If you read the footnote, it tells you it's the star of Arendelle. So you're like, okay, well, who's Arendelle? Well, the star of Arendelle, or Arendelle, I guess in Middle-earth lore, ages ago, he was a half-human, half-elf. And what his, his, his task was, on behalf of his people, he had to seek forgiveness from the Valar. And the Valar were like the angelic gods more it's it's confusing but they're like god angels um and so he seeks forgiveness on behalf of his people so to accomplish this he has to make a sacrificial act he has to carry a cimmeril and a cimmeril is like this holy gemstone into the heavens he has to leave behind everything he loves on earth and middle earth and travel into the heavens and he becomes this star I know it's a story, but he becomes a star and the star then becomes a symbol of hope. And what the symbol is, is it's a symbol of um, the Valar's love and forgiveness for all the people of Middle Earth. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, this is like, this thing's writing itself at this point. And I know like the, 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 the nerd lore is getting thick, but and I'll just cut right to my point for Sam the light and the darkness was in the shape of the star. And for us, the light and the darkness is the shape of a cross. Because Jesus was both fully human and fully God, and he sought forgiveness for us on our behalf from the Father. He lived a perfect life, and he gave it up for us as a sacrifice on the cross. And if you think about the cross, there's like no story that better illustrates this this strange dynamic between beauty and sadness. Because somehow the saddest event in all of history is also the most beautiful. Isn't that amazing? It's, it, it's, it's a type of uh, retelling, a type of uh, reversal. And I believe that this sort of reversal, this retelling where sadness, it doesn't go away. It doesn't cease to be sad, but in some degree, it, it loses its sting. It, it's, it, it becomes untrue. Um, I think that that's how we'll look back at the hardships that we experience in this life. And we'll see that it was, it was preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And that this, having this perspective, like Sam seeing that star, us seeing the cross, it'll give us the hope to wait and to wait patiently as we pray for God's kingdom to come and to come quickly. And 
we don't just wait, you know, we don't just like shrug our shoulders and wait. There's an important aspect of this prayer that we're not only asked to pray for God's kingdom to come, but we're also asked to pray, your will be done. We participate in this because we align our will to God's will. We're praying your will be done. It's an acknowledgement that God's will, God's plan, this story that God is writing, it is good and it's right. And what we're saying is that we're in alignment and we're indicating that we will act in accordance with God's will. So God isn't just, you know, telling us to shrug our shoulders and say, hey, do whatever you're going to do, God. I, I guess it doesn't matter what I want. What he's trying to do is bring our hearts into it, to submit, submit our wills and to commit to being kingdom builders with him. Um, N.T. Wright had two illustrations I thought were, were interesting, and you might connect with one of them. In, in one way, he said, imagine Jesus as being like a medical genius who discovered penicillin. Our role is to be doctors um, who ourselves are being cured by the medicine, but we also apply it to those in need. And then the second illustration he had was, imagine Jesus as being like a musical savant who wrote the, the, like, the greatest composition of all time. And we are musicians, you know, captivated by his achievement, who now perform it before a world subjected to listen to only Coco Melon, you know. The kingdom was initiated with Jesus, but will fully come when the whole world is healed, when the sadness becomes untrue, and when the whole creation joins in in the song that God has written. So we're going to move into a time of prayer. We're going to um, engage with what we've just been learning about. The invitation for you is to recenter your hope on the cross. Like Sam found his hope in the star, my hope is that you find your hope in the cross. It's the only thing that makes sense of the beauty and sadness that we see in our world. The other invitation is to pick up the, the, the tune that Jesus is playing. Submit your will to God's and play it for the, for the world that needs to hear it. And ask yourself to, you know, for God to reveal where you need to let go of your own will and surrender it to God's will. We're going to do this extended time of prayer. I'm going to kind of lead us. I'm going to open us with some prompts. Um, and then we're going to um, take in, go into our time of communion um, afterwards. Uh, the communion table, you know, we, we're going to break bread um, with God. We submit our will to his will. We align our heart with his heart. If you've put your faith in Jesus, this is the place for you. Um, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus, uh, maybe you're just interested. Maybe you're still learning. Um, the invitation is different. The invitation is um, have a conversation with someone. Talk to someone about the questions that you might have. What is um, perhaps keeping you from putting your faith in Jesus? Do you have, do you have questions? Do you have concerns? Um, talk to someone, talk to your community group leader, grab a pastor. There's lots of people who would love to uh, talk with you about that. So as we go through our prayer today, we'll have um, four different sections. I think the prayer acronym will come up here 
Um, so we're going to um, pray through each one of these um, sections, and there's going to be space. So I will um, I'll start the prayer and give a, a, a minute or two for us to just pray wherever the Lord leads you. Pray whatever kind of winds up on your heart during these spaces. Maybe it aligns with these uh, four places. Maybe it doesn't. That's okay. There's no really wrong way to do it. Um, I'm going to open this up in just a, a quick moment of just sort of um, silence and, and reflection on what we just learned about in the sermon, and then I'll start providing these prompts as we go. So let me start with this a, a quick opening prayer.